0: I'm sure that many of you, um, maybe all of you, saw the movie some years ago, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. It was very moving and very dramatic in what it presented to us um, in terms of the work of Jesus. The movie really needed to remind people that the word passion, when they talk about this thing, has nothing to do with romance, nothing to do with warm, fuzzy kind of feelings inside us. The root meaning of the word passion is not about loving. The root meaning, the heart of the word passion, really means to suffer. And so the passion of Jesus, which we'll celebrate in communion in a few minutes this morning, really talks to us about the suffering of Christ. So when we talk about passion in our lives, we're really saying that we believe in something so much, so deeply, that we're committed to feel the agony of being part of it and sharing in it we're willing to endure the pain of what it is, to be involved in it. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about as we come to the, to the communion table. The Apostle Paul, who we in the New Testament, was probably the best theologian that the church ever had. As an era, a Jewish rabbi, he was trained under Gamaliel. Paul had an outstanding mind, a tremendous zeal for his religious heritage. That's why he was such a zealot, an assassin, opposing the church. And then you see, God took the best of his spiritual path, turned it around, and focused it towards serving the mission of the church. But Paul is more than a theologian with a great mind. Paul is a pastor. He thinks like a pastor. He feels with a pastor's heart. And he has a passionate heart in being a pastor. It means that he has a heart for the churches that he started and the He rejoices when they rejoice and he struggles and suffers when they struggle and when they suffer. And one passage Paul calls himself, he describes himself really as spiritual. Coaching them as they're being formed and fashioned and morphed into Christ. He says in Galatians, my dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed, or the word really is until Christ is morphed in you. And so, he moves from being a theologian to being a pastor. This morning, I want to share that with you. And if you've got a Bible or a notepad or an iPad or some kind of a pad or whatever, um, I never think you're looking out when you get those things. I think some of you are doing your bank accounts or who knows what. But if you turn this morning, you've got to follow me. Colossians chapter 1. Do that. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 28 and 29. That's the heart of what we want to share this morning. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul says, this theologian pastor, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And then in the next verse, 29, he uses five words that talk about work and effort. He says, to this end I labor. Struggling. The word actually in Greek is agonizing with all of the energy which so powerfully works in me. Five words in that verse that have this attitude of kind of rolling up your sleeves and getting deeply involved in it. And there's nothing casual about any one of them. Every one of them gives the sense that this is demanding every ounce of effort and strength in us. And then as you go into chapter 2, you have to learn, by the way, in the Bible, to ignore where the chapter breaks are. They're kind of in the road sometimes. Read on to chapter 2. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. And again, that's the word agonizing. For you and those of Laodicea, and those who have not met me personally, This the word agony. Now, it doesn't sound very appealing to say to people, I'm a pastor of the church, and I've got to tell you, that's agony. It would be a whole lot more, it would be a whole lot nicer to say, I want to tell you about the joy of being a pastor, or the challenge of being a pastor. What Paul really says, I want to tell you about the agony, the passion, the struggle of what it is to be a pastor and what he does. Um, can you imagine a, a Regent College here in Vancouver, or a Carrie Theological um, School, or, uh, Cindy, where did you go to school? Um, Southwestern. Can you imagine Southwestern Seminary sending Cindy all of the brochures and advertising his programs and saying, Cindy, come and be a pastor. Train with us. Come on and join us. It's agony. Maybe sometimes it was in the middle of the course, I don't know. But the word agony comes uh, really from the idea of a gathering, the, an athletic competition with a lot of striving involved. Uh, Many of you, as I'm sure with me, we watched the Olympic Games um, over the summer in London, England. And you saw these people putting every ounce of strength and energy into what they did. And what they were doing is they were putting themselves for four years and more for many of them. through so the regime and the, the the discipline of training. Why did they do that? Sometimes you see them when they didn't win just crushed and lying on the track, just... Didn't you feel bad for that Canadian guy... In the race, he stepped on the line. You see the rest of his teammates just like ah, that's agony, because they worked years and years and had passion for what the running was. Every job and every career has its struggles. Whatever you are, one of our sons, as many of you know, in the RCMP, as a sergeant in the mines, and um, Andrew and I a while ago reached an understanding, which was that. I don't want his job and he doesn't want mine. We're agreed on that. Every career has its stresses and ministry does too. But after 44 years, I will tell you, there are some unique joys and privileges in ministry, which I frankly, I don't think any other job has. No one makes you do it. You have got to have a passion for it. Your muscles may hurt, your legs may get sore, but you would not do anything else. And can I tell you, the church, we begin this new fall season ministry of pastors with that kind of passion hope you know that and pray for them or are thankful to God for them and I thought this morning I'm going to talk for a few minutes about the passion of a pastor but it would be good and important to hear from them too okay so I'm going to ask pastors Cindy and Cindy to come on up for a minute and join me and a little bit of Q&E kind of thing okay you can clap Yeah, you need a microphone. You notice when you look at the three of us, remember Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> In his church, I call Cindy and I the odd couple. We're kind of the non Asian sort of people here. have a real sort of people. <laughs> <laughs> what did you study to go into the ministry, Johnny? Start with you.
1: I uh, went uh, okay. to Act Seminary, so Western. Yeah.
0: Okay, was it agony?
1: Uh, parts of it, for sure. Parts of it, for sure. <laughs> the last stretch, definitely. The last stretch. Okay. was the really hardest.
0: What did you sense in your life when you were, I don't know, 17, 18, whatever it was, that this is what God was calling you to do with your life? Well, what kind of got you to that point?
1: Uh, I really started when uh, I was at a mission trip um, in, the, in England, um, just uh, training British-born Chinese and running youth camps and children camps. That where I really received a calling to go into full-time ministry. Okay.
0: Yeah. And you've been at VCBC how long?
1: Um, just over, close to, let's see, I think around six, seven years. Six, okay. I lost track now, yeah. Okay.
0: I didn't tell you, I was going ask you that. you got got to do the math. Six, seven years. What is your passion? The one thing in your heart. You work most so of the year, but them and maybe Brian. What is the passion you have in your heart for your ministry here?
1: Um, I guess one of my uh, my, my driving firsts um, for my life is First Timothy 2:8. It's not just for myself, but it's also for youth ministry as well. Um, it says, um, "Because we have loved you so much, we share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well." And I guess my passion is just to walk alongside um, people, walk alongside, especially the teenagers and the youth, and to just show them who Jesus is and to teach them about God and to help them grow in their faith. Um, and how that looks like is, um, you know, it's just simple things as going out with them for bubble tea or bringing them for lunch or going to their volleyball games or, or just, just sharing lights together with them. And... Um, Yeah, it's my passion.
0: Okay, thank you. Cindy, what was it, whatever years ago, um, said, this is where I want to spend my life
2: in ministry. You've been in various places, but what was driving that? It was my senior year at university, and um, felt God's Spirit descend on me in a way that, Um, was very personal and very direct. And um, through Scripture, through Isaiah chapter 55, um, God really began to to speak to me um, and calling, a very specific calling on my life. And that's when I kind of surrendered my ideas of what a future career would look like and what my future Christian involvement would even look like and said yes to him at that point.
0: That idea of surrendering a future Mm. career, that's really, that's the crossroads that we're really in those kinds of times. Where, where do I put my time and my energy? You've been at BCBC... Two years. Two years, okay. Um,
2: what What's your passion for what you do in the church here? Probably like um, Johnny saying that it's kind of anchored in Scripture that... Forming Christ in people and through the local church is really, I think, an overarching calling to me. And how that is shaped is that we would become a dwelling, a dwelling of people um, by which God's spirit lives. And that scripture comes from Ephesians. And another one in Ephesians that we would be rooted and established until we all attain the full measure of the fullness of God. And so it comes my desire and heart is that we would become a spiritual community that Christ is formed in us that we no longer live by bound by structure or by fear that we would live in the fullness of the spirit of God
0: good thank you can I just say to you not to embarrass you but say to you so the church knows as I come here in this interim kind of role um, I came here about three for three months a year ago (laughs) they haven't figured that out yet but You two guys, the brother and the sister, have been just tremendous help and blessing to me. You've been encouraging, you've been supportive, and I I thank God for you. And I'd like to pray for you for just a moment in that. Father, thank you for this brother and sister. Thank you for your calling and your spirit upon their lives. Thank you for moving into this church, for what they bring to me. But beyond that, what they bring to each one of us, for what the passion of our heart is. And may this year... You help them agonize deeply with that in the full sense of that word that they put their heart and soul into it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> so let me kind of explain some of my passion. It arises right out of that passage we read in Colossians chapter 1, and 20, 29. Um, I have a passion to see VCBC grow in maturity as Christians. Here's the verse. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. Central to the ministry of the church is the proclamation of who Jesus is. We are here to raise up the name of Jesus and his word, because that alone is the transforming power to change people. People are not changed by programs are not changed by mere activity. They're only changed by the truth in Christ. And Paul says we do that in two ways. First of all, he says we admonish people. And that means times to warn. There's times to confront people with the truth of God's Word. And what it declares will change their lives. We do not live in the court of public opinion, folks. And simply do what everyone else wants to do. We live before the Word of Christ. In the church today, I understand there's a great deal of emphasis on counseling. I realize that many people are helped through skilled counseling. I'm deeply grateful to those people and the gifts that they bring. It's not my primary ministry gift. So what I say this morning, I say with sensitivity, don't misunderstand me, and please don't misquote me. Living, listening to counseling and getting counseling is not a substitute for living obedience. Counseling is to lead us so that we live properly under the word of God. Here's a little mini course in counseling for you. First Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you, brothers, sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Paul talks about the different ways we may have to respond to people in different situations. He says, admonish or warn those who are idle. That really means morally lazy. There is a time to confront people. To go at the and the the pastor, eyeball to eyeball with them, and say, this has got to stop. The time, says Paul, to encourage the timid. When people are just too apprehensive and too hesitant, not sure which way to go, they then need to be encouraged to move on. Help the weak. There's times that we find people that seem so exhausted. Their strength is gone, physically spent. And they need some help to get them back up on their feet again. And then the phrase that ties it all together, be patient with everyone. So Paul's saying there's a time to listen, a time to care, a time to confront, a time to come alongside, a time to speak the truth in love. There should be moral, relational, theological, but we need to do that of our life is that happiness is to be found in being liberated and doing whatever we want. That is a lie. That is not true. Our happiness comes, as Cindy talked about, when we surrender our options to the will of God. That sensitive old hymn that we sung this morning, Take my life and let it be Lord to thee. i got to tell you, just I get nervous you know some of those lines. If I really mean take over on my gold might would I withhold? Do I really mean that? Do I really mean God take my feet and my hands and my mind and my lips and use them to your glory? I hope I do. Surrender is what it's calling for. Dieter Bonhoeffer, the <coughs> Lutheran pastor in Germany, ended up being executed by Himmler. And he writes in one of his little books called Life Together. He says, we admonish one another to Christ bids us go. We are both gentle and severe with one another, so that we both know God's kindness and mercy. And then he asks a question: Why should we be afraid of one another? Since both of only both of us only have God to fear. Think about that. Why should we be afraid of one another? Paul also says we teach with wisdom. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, wisdom is not intellectual knowledge. It's not degrees and diplomas. Rather, is taking the truth of God's word and putting it into practice in our daily lives. We do not to the scriptures to get information. You just gather the facts. Rather, we come to the truth of God's word with wisdom to apply it to our lives, and as Cindy talked about, to see us morph into the likeness of Jesus. That is what changes us, step by step towards maturity. So Paul the pastor says, I want to present you to God in the tour. And we actually use that word, uh, the same idea when you, maybe you go to a wedding. You say, I'd like to present to you the bride and groom, and you name them. And you say, I'd like to present to you the names. i tell you this morning, I have a passion to be able to say to God, I present to you BCBT." Poor church, people are holy without blemish, free from accusation, the kind of passion that hard work. And so with the other pastors, I would echo with the Apostle Paul this morning, to this end we labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in us. And that simply means for me to you this morning. I will bring you all that I am. that's my promise to you. I will bring you all that I am. I cannot bring any more than that. And I promise not to bring any less. Here's Paul's second passion on his mind. I have a passion for BCBC to be a loving community. Colossians 2. Got it in front of me. I want you to know how I'm struggling for you. My purpose, he says, is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding to know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And the are hidden. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Some years ago, I was doing a, week's, a week of lectures, uh, for a seminary in Regina. Um, and so I went to the local church uh, one in the morning, just sort of between the lecture series. I wasn't preaching. I was just there in Regina, and I was just went along as a visitor in that morning. Just along. And every, it was a busy church, two services. Between the services, people are moving around, worker bees and all that kind of stuff. And everybody yeah, buzzed around, talked to the... Family. And I stood at, at, along the wall of what they called the fellowship pool. I stood there all by myself. Nobody talked to me. I stood with a cup of coffee. I'm not visible. I just, nobody talked to me. Not a word. We were in a fellowship hall. I just tell, I tell you folks. Fellowship didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Imagine if you were walking through the doors of VCBC here for the first time on a Sunday morning. What do people think? The first question is not, I wonder what the doctrine of this church is on some obscure bit of theology. What they're really thinking is, what is uppermost in their minds, Will anybody talk to me? Will anybody see anything to me? We genuinely want to see people come to the church and we invite visitors to come. And do you know that walking through that door for the first time will be the scariest thing that they may have done in months? We don't understand that because we move in and out of this building. but them, that will be the scariest thing they do. If we write on the bulletin, no, we say on our website, we walk on... Can I say this morning, we need to back that up with words and acts of welcome. This Sunday, and the Sundays to come, what that may mean is you just don't talk to your favorite people. Seek out someone you don't know, and talk to them for a few minutes. Say, hi, I don't think I know who you are. Is this your first morning here? If they say they've been here for eight years, you will not die. Okay? Okay? But be willing to take that step forward. My heart agonizes, folks, for all that God wants us to be. A loving community of people. Not just a lonely crowd that gathers on a Sunday morning. I have a passion. You have no idea. I have a passion to see us as a church, encouraging one another, united in love. There is so much in our society that is discouraging. When we come and meet as a church, we need to know that we will be encouraged Encouraged and supported and strengthened would come together. It's saying really, I will not miss one gathering on a Sunday morning this church, because when I go there, I get encouraged by all that we do together. Small group is to do you know, any group of people can achieve almost anything when they have a common goal. Mothers who have lost children and families through drunk drivers pull together in an organization called MAD, MEDD. Oh, multitudes of other causes have been created. We do not have to create our cause. being created for us by Christ Jesus. It's the kingdom of God. We don't have to find commonality and cohesion. What binds us together is when we come to this table in a few minutes. When you take this piece of bread and this cup of wine, on to everybody else here, And everybody else here is united with me. Not because of what I've done for you or you've done for me. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for both of us. We folks have got to live that out. And to give our lives to the greatest cause that is ever in the world. Each one of us holds a little piece of that responsibility when we hold this bread this morning. United in love means that there's all kinds of little things we do in church that irritate one another. Aren't there? I don't like when so and so does this. I don't like when so and so does that. There's all kinds of little things that irritate one another. You know what? So what? Do you understand that love sees beyond all of that nonsense? Love calls us to lay aside our petty agendas and work together for the bigger cause, which is the cause of Christ. Are you prepared to do that? That was a question. Are you prepared to do that? To lay aside all those petty little stupid things that bug one another. And lay them aside because of the love of Christ and the cause of Christ. I have a passion for the church here to be all that God wants it to be. And I feel agony when it's less than it could be. I have a passion to see VCBC be a people of strong convictions. I tell you this, says Paul. Verse 4. So that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit delight. How orderly you are and how firm your faith is. A thousand years ago and today, there are still people who are fast talkers and smooth talkers. We need to be people who are well grounded in faith. Or we will be easily swayed by false logic. Some of these people are on religious television, some are, are on the big pulpits of our countries. We're called to be people men, women and young people who know their faith. Paul says we have to be orderly. That's a word and a picture that comes from military perspective. It's when you see soldiers marching in line, step by step, that's it. We're called to be firm in our faith. Do you know that's the word for steroids? Christians are to be people who aren't steroids. It means men and women who are firm and solid in their faith to develop solid Christian lives. I hardly have words to tell you how deeply I am committed to a strongly developed teaching ministry at any church in a church such as VCBC. It means we will work on a a balanced diet of spiritual truth. Moving from Old Testament to New Testament, the Gospels, through the Epistles. That's why in a couple of weeks from now, because it's the fall season, we follow the flow of the Scriptures, and we'll go back into the Old Testament, start with the teaching series on the Ten Commandments. Living like a Christian in a non-Christian culture. The non-Christian culture, by the way, is Canada. In Exodus, it was Canaan. Now it's Canada. What does it mean to be a Christian, to live in the days in which we live today? But can I say this strongly and lovingly to you? I plead with you. I plead with you. Do not depend on me or any pastor or one of our pastoral staff to do your studying for you in God's Word. Do not depend on the sermons each Sunday to feed you spiritually. Each one of us, every one of us, is responsible for the development of our own spiritual lives. R.C. Sproul says, Every Christian is a theologian. To be an adequate Christian, competent in the things of God, we must do more than attend sharing sessions or bless me parties. That doesn't mean you've attended seminary or signed up for Cary or Regent College or whatever. But it does mean that every one of us is responsible to do our own biblical study to test what we believe for ourselves, to build up our own spiritual muscles. You're responsible for that young, married, whatever, in your own life. Every Sunday, you should be able to line up the sermons from this pulpit from the Scriptures. And so like Pastor Paul, I agonize that as a church we will not merely be swayed by what sounds good or easy. But we will be people of strong Christian convictions and will develop muscles of faith and muscles of firmness. Here's what I'd say to God this morning, my personal version of Colossians. I stand here each Sunday to proclaim Jesus Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present to God our Father everyone at BCBC mature in Christ. To this end, I'm willing to live, struggling with. All his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am agonizing for you. And my purpose is that you may be encouraged and heart united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding to know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this this morning, church, so that no one may deceive arguments. I delight to see how orderly you are. how firm in your faith. Just as you've received Jesus Christ, maybe at your baptism, I plead with you, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith in which you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I invite you to stand. Finally, as we begin this new season of fall ministry, I want to say to God our Father how grateful I am that He has given us a church with such a strong history and heritage of faith. I'm filled with thanksgiving He's given us a church with a great ministry here. I'm thankful to God for the pastors here in the Chinese congregation who have a deep passion for their work. I'm thankful that God has entrusted us with the challenge of ministry right at the heart of one of the great cities of our world. And I am deeply, deeply thankful for each one of you. Thanks be to God. And when we come in a moment now as Pastor Cindy leads us to take a piece of bread and a cup of wine, what we share in is the passion of Jesus. We share in His agony. He agonized for us with deep love and deep pain when He went to the cross. Be seated, please.